rules for comedy. Have you ever heard of the rule of threes? Yep. Okay. There is a, and I've probably brought this up before, and I think this might be part of the show. I don't know. I'll just throw in an episode 140 here, and I'll edit this myself. Um, Longbox Heroes After Dark, Gallifrey Birds, Roman numeral 7. Uh, but, uh, there was a guy who used to be, uh, like one of the producers or writers or whatever it was on Seinfeld. This guy named David Mendel. Mm-hmm. His idea was, if the rule of threes is funny, then why isn't the rule of seven even more funny? I agree with that, right. but it dips in the middle. Mm, but it comes back. Right, that's what I'm saying. It goes, it goes one, two, three, ha ha ha, four, ha ha ha, five, uh, six, uh, seven, ha ha ha. Seven, you know what I'm, I'm trying to say? So, that's all. That's, that is the rule that I apply, uh, to nudity. Now, obviously, there's films that have inappropriate, like, misplaced nudity, like a Schindler's List type film. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm hmm. But that's about the only example I could think of. Right. Maybe, maybe the girl, uh, with the spike through her bottom up through her mouth in Cannibal Holocaust. Never saw Cannibal Holocaust. I hope to someday, but... Never saw... I'm writing this down. <laughs> no, Cannibal Holocaust is a rough watch. It is, right. and again, a lot of people uh, say this, it was allegedly a found footage movie. Right. That was made... It was an Italian film, and obviously this is a time when like so many Italian films were getting releases nationwide, but because it was presented in such a way, and there really had not been a film like that before, in Italy, the director was arrested until he could prove that the cast members of this film were still alive, not dead as, as portrayed in this film that proposes this woman found these film cans of these people being horribly eaten by cannibals. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So he had to show that they were all still alive, and then he was allowed to not be in jail anymore. Wow. That's when people still believed. I believe. That's right. I'm a believer. That's, what, that's back when people would go and watch the movies, and they would do the thing of the train coming at you, and they would think it'd be real. Oh, my goodness. Or if you took your picture, a little bit of your soul was stolen. That's true. That, that is true. That is that is true. It's not That's so why I don't... a phone camera or uh -huh. a selfie, but if it has, like, a legitimate flash, like, especially, like, one of those flash cubes, oh. those, those are the inspiration for containment units in the Ghostbuster films. Is that true? Is that for true? Yes, it is for true. No, I have no idea. I'm just joking. I know they don't steal your soul, but I thought maybe they were with a basis for the containment no. thing somehow. You know what I mean? Hey, listen, we're, we're freestyling here. We're spitballing. We're just making shit up. Uh, uh, me, I would never whip up a story that wasn't true. Hmm. So, um, what we're, we're actually, it's what you're all here for, actually. Not to hear us prattle on about whatever it is, nonsense, reality in movies, cannibal holocaust, things like that. Maybe that's for another day. But today is a very special day. Today is Gallifrey Birds Roman numeral 7. That's right. Todd 
is going first this time. I checked before we started recording. Okay, even though we flipped one way, so I don't even know anymore. It's all crazy. No, because last time I did my Doctor Who first. Right, but the time before that, you did your Doctor Who first, and you were saying, no, I'm going to lead with... You're, with me and you, I was the steak, and you. No, I was this. You were the steak. I was the sizzle, or something like that. Well, now this new order is the set in stone order. Oh, okay, set in stone. Until I decide to change my mind at the last minute. Okay, so that means we're saying I'm starting. You are starting, right? Todd is watching uh, the Extreme Championship Wrestling event from 1998, entitled Heat Wave. And spoiler alert, no Mick Rory in a tiny hat anywhere in this. Oh, come so, on. So, first oh, of all... I, oh, I'm sorry. I, um, since I'm sure you have notes and so forth there. Yes, I have a few this one, so you know. Okay, ju- well, I'll get to my notes later. So, mm-hmm. um, let me look at this. Is it worth it here? Sure. Okay. I, have a, I will have a game to play that we started on the last episode that we'll do on this episode as well. Okay, I don't remember the game, but okay. <laughs> so go ahead. Alright, so this, this starts out and we, I find out it's Dayton, Ohio, which is the root beer wrestling, uh, Providence, right? Now? That is correct. Um, Chris, when, you know, uh, Chris I know went to a lot of these shows, as did John, and I'm sure a lot of the other, uh, AIW fans and or competitors were probably at this event, if not many of the other events held at the Hera Arena. Right. So we start off that I, I noticed that I was like, uh, and I guess AIW toppled them. That's how, that's how we got to where we are. But that's they a whole won the war. Story. That's correct. That they did. They. I could imagine root beer wrestling with little Tonka jeeps pulling up on ECW. <laughs> <laughs> would be fantastic. I wouldn't. But be, anyway, I, just as a side note, it would be about a year later that John mm-hmm. Thorne. Uh, was running backyard shows and attempting right. to book some of the people that may or may not have been on this event. Wow. So, like, because I always do call the ECW the Inside Backyard Wrestling League. Right, right. Because it has a backyard wrestling feel to it. I don't care what anybody says. I stand by that. Is it, is um, it the fact that 95% of the people wrestle in jeans and t-shirts? Oh, you, you beat me to it. All right, that, go ahead. Uh, that I actually think that this show was sponsored by Ed's House of Jorts and Tie-Dye. <laughs> <laughs> like, they were like, we got a show, here you go. It's like, here's all the, the costumes. You know what I mean? Lots of jorts. But, uh, so we start out with uh, the announcers, Joey Styles, anchor of the, the commentating crew. <laughs> right? So... Right off the bat, I, I enjoy this guy. And as the show goes on, I'm going to tell you why I, why I like this guy, right? So then they announce that they have his color commentator with his uh, – a company with his valet or whatever she is. I forget the words. Corner person. You know, I don't know. Um, uh, she, was it? She was a terrific corner person? Yeah, an amazing corner person or right. something like that. I have the, the – the, no, I could flip back, but that would be a while, so – um, I have it in my notes. I have a special uh, wrestling notebook that I may auction off for charity at the end. Oh, um, man. Yes. <laughs> we can drum up a quarter for, for cystic fibrosis or something. But uh, so Francine, I guess she was called the cheerleader. I don't know. Right. That's... It was uh, Shane Douglas's head cheerleader. Sure. Right. So she comes out. And I love the fact that she looks like she's the star of the mockbuster version of Showgirls, the movie. 
Okay. She just looks like a uh, stripper? I don't know. I'm going out on a limb there. So, uh, and then I find out that the color commentator is, is Shane. Not the one that I want. <laughs> Not McMahon, but Douglas, apparently. Right. And he's the champ and commentator? Well, he's injured. Oh, that could, right, because they don't say that at this point, but later on they show his robot arm. Right. So that's that's pretty cool. But I was like, I, I, I don't really ever remember any time that I watched wrestling that, say someone was hurt, like the champ, and he commentated. So that I, I found that interesting as we were going. So uh, I, I like the to, fact that... I'm distracting you for a second. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. Is that a picture of you with... With Francine? Yes, that is a picture of me with Francine. Oh, you should put that up on the website. I will. I will. Okay. That'll be scanned for later. Gotcha. And you look you look fantastic now that I can actually see you in your habitat. Oh. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> how far I've fallen. Hang on, let me turn that off. <laughs> Delightful. You haven't derailed my train of thought at all with, Sorry. Your, with your visage. But, uh... So I like the fact that Shane holds the ropes for Francine, and then after she gets in, she kisses him, and he just hits the, the mat like a ton of bricks. I was like, all right, good gang. I, I, I kind of like that. Right, you um, Then uh, Shane says, cut the fucking music, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> this is an adult pay-per-view. So I have to switch my my mental gears. I didn't know they cursed in ECW. Oh, it's extreme. Oh, it's extreme. (laughs) Oh, wait a minute. So if this is now you're like, oh, I didn't realize they cursed. I'm waiting for the end of the show. Go ahead. Oh, oh, we're getting there. We're (laughs) saving that up, right? So, So that's great. And then the fans get a little rambunctious and they start chanting, show your tits, which is a great moment. Um, but then, uh, Joey Styles and Shane Douglas get real close and they pretend that she shows them and he's like, yeah, they're great. And Joey Styles says that he has a dub, a new double breasted suit. (laughs) And she says, but I bet they didn't cost six grand like these. (laughs) And I'm like, all right, Joe's picked me a good one. (laughs) It's setting the tone. Oh, the tone is set, Joe. All right. I know where we're going from here on out, but did it meet and maybe exceed my expectations at points? We shall find out. Right. But uh, I love that the entrance for the wrestlers is just a hole in the brick wall with a curtain on it. That's that's fantastic. So they announced, you know, the first match. And this is at one point that I want to say I never we're, we're out of the classic doctors for you. We're on the border. Eight is like a classic, but bridge to the modern. I never want to hear you say anything about bad audio or like sound going in and out as on this pay-per-view. It was fucking horrific at times. All right. Two things. Mm-hmm. One, none of that on the doctor who that I had to watch spoiler for later in the episode. Mm-hmm. Two, at this point, ECW was doing pay-per-views for a little bit under a year. From this point until they would close three years later, they would never fix the problems that they have with their pay-per-view. Oh, it was bad. Like, I would be like, okay, I don't know if it was because the camera had mics on them or whatever, but like they would move, like they would come out of the, 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 the entrance away and the person would be backing up and you, and it'd be quiet 
And then all of a sudden, I don't know if they back near a, a speaker and, and you couldn't hear Joey Styles or Shane Douglas or anybody until like they got further down the ramp or something. I don't, I don't know how to explain it is the sound would just cut in and out. And when they cut away, it'd be, you know, just blaring and then silent or silent and then blaring. It would go back and forth. So the production values on this were a little uh, below par. That's, that's all I'm going to say. But, uh, and then, so they, they announced, and also the other thing is I wish that they had used when people came out, the, whatever you would call it, the, like they would put their names up on the screen. The Cause they were sure. Right. Cause they would wait until, for the most part, both teams were in the ring and they would announce. I like it better when you announce a wrestler and they come out and you announce a wrestler and they come out and, you know, and then the other team comes out. It's less uh, confusing for a new person, if that sure. makes any sense, that you're getting, all right, this is this person and that's that person. And this is, and then they get in the ring and they're trying to announce it and the cameramans aren't that great cameramen aren't that cameramans cameramen aren't that great and you're like okay so it takes me a little while to figure out who some of these people are and then as they're coming out at the first match is just incredible versus jerry lynn and does does just incredible comes out with somebody named chastity correct jason the sexiest man on in earth on earth right and is that nicole bass yes it is nicole bass Oh my goodness. So right there, Just Incredible has a bit of a, has a bit of a lopsided advantage because Jerry Lynn comes out and, uh, I don't think he has anybody with him. So Jerry Lynn came up by him, by his lonesome. Right. So I was like, oh my God, I remember, uh, Nicole Bass from, I guess she was on Stern years ago. That's correct. Yeah. I don't know what she was the world's largest female bodybuilder. Right. I don't know if she's still in bodybuilding or what, or, but I mean, I haven't seen her in years. She's in the great bodybuilding event in the sky. Oh, she lives with Jesus now? Yes. She's a holy oh. pumper. Oh, boy. So, my, one of the things that I do notice is that they mention that the, the ref is named John Finnegan, and I love the, the, the outfits on, wrestling fashion on the refs they look like papa john's employees or something <laughs> <laughs> with the with the red and black with the and they look like the papa john's of the starship enterprise okay because they have like these uniforms on and it's ridiculous just 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 be in black and white stripes you're i know you're trying to be different from from the wwf um and so that's going on and i like the fact that at one point Joey Styles mentions like Hang on one there's second. a lot of I have a visitor. What? Hello. Oh. Good night, Slice. Get some rest. I love you. Sorry. Right. So uh Joey so Styles. Joey Styles starts um talking about Nicole Bass and they do some stuff that I'm not sure would fly in today's climate. Okay. With some gender stuff. Hmm. And some other things. But, uh, but they, they said they should, oh, what, what did he say he should call her? He should call her Russia because she's bigger than China. I was uh, like, oh, shooting. Shooting. But, uh, at this point, while, while the wrestling match is going on, Chastity and Bass get into it with some unruly fans. Obviously not indicative of what real ECW fans are like. These are outliers. 
I can only imagine right, that listen, they're like you bad apples spoil a bunch, whatever they say. Mm-hmm. So I just found that amusing. That this gives me the idea of where my fa- the fans level are at. If that makes any sense, if they're the, like, Yo. if the show your tits chant to begin the show wasn't enough mm-hmm. of a tip off, I don't know what else could be at this point. I wasn't sure. I thought that may have been, been in jest, but now I know for true, right? So uh, and there, so Joey Styles starts playing up uh, how great Just Incredible is, and that that the know-it-alls in wrestling in wrestling journalism didn't give him the credit, and he's going to prove them wrong. And it's at this point that I noticed that a lot of the commentating, like later on too, is like burying some of the things and s- implying that uh, other wrestling promotions steal what they do. Okay. True or not, but... Uh, True or it, not, maybe. However, at this time, ECW was on the secret payroll of the WWE. Was it really? At the time... Uh, Just Incredible, Nicole Bass, um, in later matches as we'll get on, um, at the very least, Just Incredible and Nicole Bass were under WB contract working for ECW. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, but as, as this wrestling match goes on, uh, I, I wasn't quite sure what the rules of ECW were on early oh, on. Oh, 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 Todd. Because <laughs> I'm at this point, they're sliding chairs in when the ref's not looking and doing other stuff. But I'm like, I thought this was extreme and you could do it. So why were you hiding from the ref? But apparently, I'm at this point in the in the show, I'm thinking chairs are illegal. But that will go out the window a little bit later. So I I don't know. And then somebody gets put through a table, and I'm wondering, is it every 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 match is going to have a table? Because this is you know extreme wrestling. Um, and also, because of this, I find out that the ref, John Finnegan, by the way, because they mentioned his name a couple of times, is the most easily distracted ref in the history of wrestling in this match. <laughs> because he's like, oh, Chastity, Nicole Bass. And like, and you can actually see him like, oh, I'm, I'm giving these, these two the business for interfering. And I'm looking over to see if they've done the chair shot or whatever they're doing yet. Nope. Back to... <laughs> Back to giving these two people the business. I was crying at some of the stuff that was that was going on. In that it. blatantly um, obvious, right? I was like, "That's that's that's pretty bad." And then uh, I love that that Bass gets involved when the ref isn't looking, and Fireman carries uh, him. And notice notice that Joey Styles says, "I didn't say Firewoman carry," and then he gets <laughs> she gets hit between the legs. And he's like, oh, she got hit in the nuts. Yeah, I said it, in the nuts. I'm like, I ain't taking it back. I'm like, oh, boy. Okay, I see where this is going. And then Chastity gets tombstone pile driven. I love when women get neck moves. That's the best. Right. Makes you feel real comfortable as an adult male. (laughs) That's right. Um, And... just it was it was a decent match. This wasn't my favorite match. Uh, there was no real highlights that I have written in my notebook other than just incredible for the win. Um, okay. Honestly, it didn't blow. It was a slow match, even to me. Like with the ECW stuff, it just seemed like getting their feet on this match. I wasn't really blown away by it. Sure. Okay. So we'll go on to the second match, 
with Chris Candido versus Lance Storm. Um, so they go to one of those highlight reels, like how we got here. Right. And a voice pops up that I'm, I feel like I'm slightly familiar with, but I, I can't quite place it. I'm not 100% sure who it is. They're talking about Candido, this and that, and, you know, going back and forth and how we got here. Um, the tag team were friends, but then they're no longer friends, which I think is the first time in the history of wrestling that's ever been done. Correct. But, uh, so, and then he starts going crazy at the end. And I'm like, Paulie, <laughs> it's, it's the advocate. I'm like, okay. And I'm hoping I get to see Polly at some point in the show. Um, I'm not going to say whether I was disappointed or not. Um, and it, is there, is, did he lose an ear or something? Polly? No, Candido. No. It's probably okay, maybe just like that... all cauliflowered up from taking a beating. Oh, okay. Cause I thought he had a headset on or a headpiece on that was, that they said that he almost had his ear ripped off and had to be sewn back on. And he that might have for like heat or something. You know what I mean? Like for heat or something. Okay. okay. I thought it was something that, that he did or, or whatever. Now out comes Lance Storm, right? Joe, <laughs> <laughs> what are you laughing about? Nothing, Joe? nothing. All right. He comes out to Thunderstruck. Okay. Possibly my, my favorite song by ACDC. Which we could do a whole thing on great songs by ACDC, but Thunder, I'm just going to give a brief thing that Thunderstruck is my favorite, not because it's the best, it's the best Brian Johnson song, but because I graduated in 91, there's a lot of great memories partying to that song. So I'm like, boom, Lance Storm, the face, because he comes out to Thunderstruck by ACDC. There's no doubt in my mind. You can't, you can't do better, uh, for an entrance song than this than having the ACDC song. I'm rooting for this guy, Joe. This is my guy in this match. <laughs> right? All right. So out comes Candido with Tammy Lynn, apparently. I don't know who Tammy Lynn is, but it's Tammy Lynn. Comes out to back in black. Now I don't know what to think, Joe. I'm like, two faces fighting each other? This is insanity. I have no idea why they would put the main event in the second match. Oh, my goodness. Because <laughs> you don't just... And the fact that guaranteed from ECW, Angus Young, Brian Johnson, and the rest of the band are getting two checks for this show. Oh, guaranteed. absolutely. Yes. Like, right off the top, they're like, Polly's like, let me sign these checks. Dear Mr. Young, here is your check. Where, Two just, checks. Just as a side note, later in this very year, when World Wrestling Entertainment decided to make Highway to Hell the theme song for mm-hmm. SummerSlam, right. they had to cut a low five-digit check to ACDC to use the song for promotion of their pay-per-view. I'm sure Paulie cut those same two checks. I'm pretty, two of them. He had a cut. Now, they might have gave him a double discount. You use two, you get them cheaper. Right. He might have, been, like, he might have brokered this deal when it was a sale, like, buy one, get one half off. Something, yes. Something. So, music that, rights I, are real loosey goosey in ECW around this time. Right. So, uh, I love that as they're coming out, uh, Shane says that it's, you know, because Tammy Lynn is with them. It's good to have boobs and ass in your corner. Right. <laughs> Take it from me. But as long as there's a brain behind it, because you need that, too. I was like, I guess. Good, good save, Shane. 
Yes, yes. So uh, I like, you know, as they're announcing uh, the people that Tammy Lynn takes the microphone and announces Candido. Well, can't as Candido does his best curly impression, running around the ring and doing like little spins and stuff. And at that point, I'm wondering if he, that's part of his gimmick. And he does a little bit more of it later, so I think he steals a little bit from Curly. Um, and Tammy Lynn straddles him like he's a horse in the ring and stuff. A lot of sexual stuff, like I said. I'm starting to see more of the tone of this show. Um, and the best part is she announced him as Mr. No Gimmicks Needed. That is one of the... He, he's so good that I know he doesn't need gimmicks. That his gimmick is he needs no gimmick. Well, that's great. there was a double meaning with that, because he had okay. recently... Now, when you keep saying you don't know who this Tammy Lynn is... I don't. I honestly don't. Okay, it's Sonny from World Wrestling Entertainment. Do you remember Sonny? Vaguely. Okay. Vaguely. Uh, well, at one point, Shane calls her Sonny and then quickly says, says, uh, Tammy. Tammy. He's like, and out there, he's with Sonny. Tammy. Right. So I was like, oh, is that, is, I guess he's talking about the weather there for a second. So they were previously in the World Wrestling Entertainment. They were the body Donnas. She was Sonny. He was Skip. He had left World Wrestling Entertainment way before she did. And obviously, the the Skip character was that of a fitness person. It was very unclear as to what it was. Maybe a cheerleader. Again, very unclear. So when he came back to ECW, he was no gimmicks needed, one, in that he did not need a gimmick like Body Donna Skip to be a good wrestler. And then back in the day, and even still to this day, when you were doing drugs in the world of professional wrestling, sometimes they refer to them as gimmicks. Mm. saying that he's not on any of those, one of those two statements are a lie. Oh, okay. As big as a fan as I am of Chris Candido, listen, you don't lose your job in the World Wrestling Entertainment unless you're doing way more than everybody else. <laughs> oh, boy. So, anyway. the, match, the match starts out with me, uh, literally woo chops. You know what woo chops Yeah, are, the right? Ric Flair chops. Woo chops, Joe. Right, where the, you chop and the guy goes woo. Right, the crowd goes woo, everybody goes woo. There was a minute and a half of woo chops. <laughs> it's like I chop you, you chop me, I throw you into the corner, there's a chop, 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 chop. There was just, I was like, okay, that's a lot of chops. But you know how we were talking about the rule of three and the rule of seven? Yes. The rule of 110 chops is pretty cool. <laughs> so I, I, I did... I did kind of like that. Then I found out that ECW ropes aren't ropes. They're steel cables. Right. When did that happen? Uh, World Wrestling Entertainment is actually the only ones that use actual ropes. Really? Pretty much every other wrestling ring is a steel cable. Is like a steel cable with like a rubber tubing around it. Okay. I did not know that. For the most part. That's fine. That's fine. I was just shocked to find out that they, they were at, and Joe, I'm just saying because occasionally there are fibs in wrestling. Right. So I didn't know if they were trying to be more extreme. It's like you have ropes, we have steel cables. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. So at, at one point there's a, shockingly there's a table just outside the ring and, uh, uh, Lance Storm suplexes Candido out of it onto, onto his head in a way that made me cringe and tighten up in places that I hadn't tightened up in a while. 
it looked really bad. Like, and I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. This is, uh, in extreme wrestling. So there wasn't a lot of like big moves in this, but at one point, Tammy hands Candido some Spartrocks, I think. Oh. I'm not sure. She just had a bag of white powder, which is probably Spartrocks. And it backfired on Candido because Lance Storm bops it and it goes in his face. And there's a whole bunch of moves and blah, blah, blah. And Lance Storm goes up on the ropes to finish off the match. But Tammy Lynn comes in to help him because he's facing away from the ring and he's going to do a backflip or something. He's going to do a lunar pepper or something. I don't know. And uh, Tammy Lynn fondles his butt to help Candido for some reason. Right. But then pu- pushes him so he falls on his man parts on the corner and he gets all hurt. But uh, while this is going on, the, the Candido gets – he's all messed up from the Spartrocks and stuff. He sees that the ref is shoving Tammy Lynn, so he get, rolls him up or whatever you would call it, the move. But while he's, he was holding on to Tammy Lynn's dress, and the dress rips, Joe. But luckily, she was able to fall down and crawl out of the ring, and a uh, side per like a, 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 a ring person, was able to put his coat on her. And luckily, we were we didn't get to see Tam, Tammy Lynn. Her wasn't shown the world her nudity. Luckily, she got away with that, and she doesn't have to worry about that. She's probably free and clear for the rest of her career on that. (laughs) (laughs) What? You know, I don't want to things we could be doing with this Skype right now. I'm just saying. That's right. I I just want her honor to not be besmirched, and it wasn't at this point. At this point. Um, Right. So at this point, uh, they they wrestle, and Candido wins with the blonde bombshell, which I think is a is a great move. But I do like a couple of times throughout the match, Candido does something I call the drunk stumble pin, right, where he stumbles around the ring and then falls on the guy to pin, a la you know, kind of like a curly move. So there was a lot of a lot of a lot of curly stuff from the Three Stooges with Candido, as far as I was concerned. But I enjoyed that match. That match built up. Um, now, you know, like I said, the main, the ACDC main event is over, and it's all downhill from from here, I guess. But then we get announced that Joey Styles is like confused. He's like, "Oh, he's like, yeah, I'm just. It's coming in. Everything that's coming in his ear seems to confuse Joey Styles at ECW." Right. He's getting a lot of messages from the truck. Right, and uh, he's doing this. And uh, while while this is going on, he's talking about uh, stuff that happened outside the the arena. We're going to get to it. And at this point, I noticed that Fan- Francine is mugging for the camera while they're talking because she has nothing else to do, and she's doing some award winning facial expressions like, "Oh, yeah, ooh, that's interesting," and it's god awful, Joe. <laughs> It's just like, oh my god. And it only gets worse. They don't show her often, but it only gets worse. Alright. So, so, they show that somebody, I think it was, uh, Lojack was the, the wrestler? New Jack? New Jack. New Jack. How dare I'm you? Sorry. Well, they really, this is one of those vague things that they don't have any, like, uh, uh, like I said, like, stuff on the screen so I could, so I could know who it is. And he's out there screaming and yelling. This is all before the show with, you know, completely not, you know, people in on the, the gag or whatever's going on because they're all chanting like with in sync, but it doesn't seem like spontaneous, if you know what I mean. Sure. So 
Um, he gets jumped by what is, I think, the Dudleys That's or correct. the Blair Witch. I'm not sure because I can't tell with the shaky camera. It's really bad. And then I figure out it is Devon and Bubba Ray and some other people, but they hurt New Jack. So New Jack versus Jack Victory, whose weapon match isn't going to happen. Correct. Now, do you know if that was because that was supposed to happen and he, somebody got hurt or? It was more than likely we were running long on time. So we're like, we're going to decide to cut a match. Okay. So go, go film this so we have an excuse to cut a match. Okay. I don't know because it just seemed out of like, I don't know. And Francine looked genuinely sad, Joe. She was like, she was, oh, she oh. was upset she wasn't going to get to see Jack Victory wrestle or she was upset that New Jack was hurt. I don't know. She okay. didn't. I just maybe both. She, there was that much sadness. Joe. Okay. Um, but then we cut to a pro. They send us to a promo that starts with Fonzie's award-winning smile. <laughs> <laughs> right. How many jelly babies do you think have gnarled through uh with those chompers, huh? Oh. Just, I don't even know. And uh, he has an affinity for screaming the word daddy. Right. Daddy. Listen, daddy. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if that's worth. Nobody wants to hear you someone scream daddy or baby or anything like Did that. Did he that's... say that he was going to call it right down the middle at any point? He said at some point, I call okay. it. Yeah, he said right down the middle. And I didn't know. Those are his catchphrases, daddy. Oh, were, were they? Yes. Well, Ah, okay, because I think he says it a few more times throughout the show. <laughs> but then we see a very uh, interesting young man that I know from WWEF days is RVD. Right. And he seems very laid back. Okay. He just seems very laid back and all into himself and stuff. And I kind of... I kind of like that. There's a cockiness to him. And then they we pan over and we get... The knockoff Iron Sheik guy? How dare you? All right. First of all, I just want to say instantly knockoff Iron Sheik, and I'm not liking this guy. This is probably going to be my least favorite guy on the show. I'm just getting a feeling. This is your, this is your initial impression. All right, go ahead. Right. Because then for no apparent reason, I find out his name is Sabu. Um, and Sabu apparently points up a lot for That's no correct. Apparent. I don't know why he points up. It's never explained why he points up. It seems like he points up when they say the word Sabu, but sometimes it, it's not. So I don't know if that's, is that the reason? It's, um, like, it's his taunt. It's no different than, like, you know, RVD doing the, like, why does RVD do double thumb points to himself? Because it's his taunt. Why does, like, Tommy Dreamer stretch his arms out? Because it's a pose, it's a taunt that, like, he could do, that's his thing, that the people could do along with him to, as a show of solidarity. Okay, it looks like he's discoing, as far as I'm concerned. So oh, I don't boy. like knockoff chic. All right, yep. I'm just saying. That's that's my take on it. I get in, I get these vibes and and uh, but I do like the fact that uh, RVD is cocky about like how he's talking about like yeah and this and that and I'm gonna win this match and Sabu's like shoving him. He's like, come on, Sabu, you know. You know I won that last match. So I, I'm starting to get a hint of strife between these two wrestlers. Right. But I actually like it. And I like RVD sneezing Japanese names. Right, like Hakushi. He's like, yeah, he's like, oh, we're going to fight Hakushi. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. I'm like, that's that's not uh, 
that's not nice. I don't think that'll fly, that would fly nowadays either. But uh, so that goes. I, I, I'm interested in seeing where that match goes at this thing. Right. But now we we get a match with Mike Awesome versus Tanaka. Masato Tanaka, yes. Masato Tanaka, yes. I have Masato written down here. I missed it. Uh, and just for more wrestling fashion, Awesome has written awesome on his on his trunks which i'm a big fan of anytime somebody has their name written on their trunks and tanaka has something written on his but i can't make it out through most of the match right i'm almost certain that his also says tanaka but it's in japanese so that doesn't help anyone right right so um this is one of those match other than mike awesome's amazing mullet Mm mm-hmm and his ability for a big man to do the rope stuff, like leap off, the, like jump up on the ropes with an amazing amount of uh, balance. Right. This is another one of those matches that I just thought was kind of kind of slow, and nothing jumped out about at it to me other than this is where the chairs came in and the refs didn't seem to care, like not like the first match. Uh, this one was like they got in a chair sword fight, which I thought was kind of cool. It was like, I bang your chair, you bang my chair, and we're going back and forth around the ring. And I'm like, oh, cool, like a uh, a sword duel with the chairs. But then uh, Mike Awesome appears to just destroy, destroy a chair with uh, Masato Tanaka's head. Right. Like just bends it. And I forgot how little we see chair shots these days. Yes. If at all. So watching these, I was cringing at him. Like, how could you have fake falling 60 feet off a, off, a, off a cage? Right. I don't know how you could fake no hands chair to the head and the, the chair is all bent to shit. Like, there's no faking that. So that actually uh, kind of, kind of like, I was like scared like oh my god like i don't know if like when i was younger i would have been like ah this is amazing but now as i'm getting older and i know about c cets and stuff like that it's you're like oh right this this match uh happened before concussions were a thing right oh i'm sure he probably had one after the match was over Mm. Uh, just rub some dirt on it you'll be fine i agree walk it off walk it off um and this is another one where they get, you know, uh, Masada throws Awesome out onto a table head first, and you're like, geez, there's a lot of head first table landing in, in ECW. There is. Like, somebody learn how to land on your back instead of your head. Nah. But uh, Tanaka wins with a tornado DDT on the chairs. Now, I'm going to, this is where I start to learn why I like Joey Styles, and anytime you get Joey Styles as. Your new uh, announcer, it's an upgrade, Joe, because he does, and I have not noticed a lot of guys do this, a newbie like me, he mentions what a lot of the moves are, like almost all the time. And for me, that's why in these notes, you're starting to notice that I'm mentioning what someone did to end a match or what a move was that I really liked in the middle of it because he's constantly blowing out... uh, uh, names to to move whether they're right or wrong i don't know but that that's one thing that i did really like about joey Styles. right so uh i after this match is over like i said this this match didn't blow me away it was good um we go to uh taz promo with uh his i believe it is 
fuck the world world championship? Correct. Um, instead of his, is, instead of the world championship, it's the fuck the world championship. Right, and I'll get onto that later because they don't talk about it much. But I'm just like, whoa, ECW has and has a championship that's called fuck the world championship. No, they don't. But that's a little bit later. Um, <laughs> I, I remember Taz from ECW, but here's my thing: I remember Taz as an announcer, not ECW in WWE. Right. I remember Taz as an announcer. If I when I watched, he might have been right at the end of his wrestling. Like he was doing a little bit of both, maybe. Correct. And then he was Taz from Red Hook, um, the, the 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 terrible area of Red Hook. But he was announcing, and I don't remember who his partner was, but I do remember EC uh, WWE him announcing. So it was interesting to actually see Taz as the wrestler uh, again because um, I didn't really know. But he the also human announced Suplex Machine Taz. Yes, that's something we'll get to a little bit later too. All right. Um, so he does his little thing, and I forgot how I like the torn uh, towel over his head. That looks really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, or frayed, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, but Taz says that he is better. Do you know that Taz is better than Austin Goldberg and Mike Tyson, all his champions? I know that because Taz said it. Right. He's better than them all. And at this point, this gives me an idea of where we are in the other wrestling leagues and uh, boxing. You know, well, <laughs> like, no, oh. you have to you have to keep in mind this is in the midst of the Mike Tyson, Steve Austin stuff in WWE. Oh, it's not him as championship of, of boxing. No, this is Mike Tyson is banned from boxing, and this is what he has to slum and do. World Wrestling Entertainment. Oh, okay. So, but are Austin and Goldberg champs at, in their respective? Uh... uh, well, this is you know this is the build to Steve Austin becoming the champion, like. Um, the WrestleMania that would happen a month later is when he beat Shawn Michaels, uh, for the championship. Just to give you an idea where we are from here, uh, this event happens not less than three months after the, uh, Saskatoon's kerfuffle. What's it called? Oh, the, uh, Ottawa Betrayal. The Ottawa Betrayal. Right. Okay. So that helps me out, which isn't too long after the last pay-per-view that you just gave me was. Right. It's so almost right- as though they're in some sort of chronological order, Todd. Why didn't you tell me we were doing chronological uh, wrestling order? I didn't know that. Uh, it's like I forget things sometimes. So now we go to another pro, uh, not promo, but a like uh, interview with people. Sure. And jo- Joe, now we're getting into what Todd wants. We pan in, Joe, and there's a guy with no shirt, a blazer. A red neck brace with a bow tie on it. Because bow ties are cool, Joe. And (laughs) he starts talking, and I'm like, I better get more of this guy at some point. (laughs) I like, I don't know his name. I jump forward. All that stuff is given me to later. So his name is Joel Gertner. Correct. The quintessential stud muffin, Joel Gertner. Right. Joel Gertner. So now, while this is going on, um, I realized that we have uh, that we have uh, J- Devon and Bubba Ray there. Those are two guys that I recognize. Then there's somebody just growling. I don't know who that. I don't right. know who that is. But then I think maybe it's Big Dick Dudley later. That's correct. Maybe maybe growling. I'm not sure if he was growling because I couldn't see who was growling. And then I find out that there, later it's Sign Guy Dudley. Right. Who I thought 
it was a time machine. Our good buddy DJ was there. <laughs> I think if he listened to the show still, he'd be upset by that. What? He looks like it. Our good buddy DJ looks like sign guy in Heat Wave 1998. I don't care what anybody says. Um, that's basically where it is. Now, I don't know if Bubba Ray was on Spectrox during this pay-per-view. Okay. But during this interview, he was trying to convince me he was on Spectrox. Because <laughs> he's like, Dreamer, you know, you're, you're so... Now, is Dreamer religious? No. Okay, is there whole... Because I know uh, Devon's thing is testify, so I don't know how religious thing, but he's just basically like, Dreamer, your soul may belong to Jesus, but, but your, your ass, ass belongs, belongs to, the to the Dudleys. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, this is fantastic. And he's talking about how... You know, they did something to Beulah McGillicuddy. Correct. Which, which is in a promo later, which I have some, some notes on, so we don't have to. But I, I just found that completely interesting. This interview was hysterical, and Bubba Ray looks so young here. <laughs> so young to me. And we, I had a friend in high school who looks exactly like Bubba Ray at, at this time. Oh, that's a good look. Oh, it is. And well, just for the record, his name, his nickname was Chumley off of the, the walrus from the Tennessee Tuxedo cartoons. Right. My friend. So Chumley looks a lot like Bubba Ray Douglas. So I have to give you big props for uh, that, that right here. I'm starting to get what I really want from a pay-per-view. Now we go into the the next match and it's Hayabusa. Yes. Oh my god, I nailed it. And and Shinzaka? Z- Shinzaki. Shinzaki, yes. Oh my goodness, I got two of them right. Versus Sabu, RVD, and, and Fonzie. Um, now Fonzie at this point comes out is very energetic. So like you said, saying he's going to call it right down the middle. And uh, so uh, the, the uh, Iron Sheik wannabe who points up a lot is there. I don't need him. But uh, one thing I want to mention is I hope those tats on Shinzaki are real. Are they real? No. <sighs> you should have lied to me, Joe. <laughs> I wanted them to be real because they didn't, they didn't rub off throughout the match. Whatever they're using, that's good stuff. It is good stuff. It is good stuff. So at this point, I noticed there's a lot of uh, 420 signs that say rvd in the crowd correct and i'm wondering which biblical quote this has to do with like 316 of austin do you know what that is the the austin no it's come on i know 420 didn't he get in a lot of trouble for doing dope at some point get kicked out that's much later that's much later that wasn't here no no i think it was encouraged here what? I think it was encouraged here. <laughs> it might have been mandatory, actually. Possibly. Right? So, at this point, I realized, I didn't know it during the uh, the interview with these guys earlier, but Fonzie is a loud whistler, but he cheats. He has help. Correct. He has an actual whistle. And I will say this, Joe, that whistle made me, gave uh Gave Fonzie some atomic heat because I hated him by the end of this match. That whistle over and over and over. 
and over again. I was just going crazy through most of this match. I love it. I love it. Right. So, so, uh, so they do, I don't know if this is, I'm going to call it the Memphis stall with RVD and the uh, knockoff Iron Cheek. Oh. Um, it, it might be another name for it, but they're shoving each other, deciding who's going to go into the ring first to wrestle. So would that fall under the Memphis stall or no? Well, no, that falls under the uh, two matches prior tag team, uh, a, t- a successful tag team that doesn't get along. Okay, I thought maybe it had something to do with, with that too. But uh, either way, I, I like it. And it starts to, to, to show that they don't uh, get along. So it starts off with RVD. Versus uh, Hayabusa, right? And I have to admit, there was a lot of botched moves. Even I noticed a ton of botched moves in this. And at one point, the crowd was chanting, "You fucked up." <laughs> so I knew I was right that they had messed something up. Um, so I was kind of like, eh, "This match like is really sloppy." When I notice a match is sloppy, Joe, a match is sloppy. So okay. that, that was part of Sabu's charm, I'll just say. No, but this was RVD at the time. Oh, well, that's part of his charm, too. Oh, okay. So that that goes on. and But I do like the, the cockiness of RVD again in here, kind of like doing his, like, I'm awesome, and he's doing the, like, bow to the crowds and everything. I, like, I don't really remember that from WWE, mm-hmm. but I really enjoyed... Uh, some of this, uh, like I was just like the, the the pageantry of RVD is fantastic. Um, then Shinzaki gets in and he does uh, praying praying rope walk, I think it's called. Yes, which I uh, is to me is like the old school, the Undertaker old school, and I'm all, I'm a sucker for Undertaker old school, so I like this one uh, A the praying rope walk because it looked really really cool. Um, but I still always be, uh, uh, what do you want to call it? Uh, a bigger fan of old school just because I think, you know, Undertaker's more iconic, but that was, uh, it. And I, uh, RVD keeps taunting Sabu that he's going to tag him, but he doesn't. Finally, he tags poor man Iron Cheek and he gets in the ring. Um, and this is when I find out that may not be true or not. I don't know, but someone seems to mention that Sabu is uh no the uh the sheik is sabu's uncle yes not the iron sheik oh not the iron sheik no the original sheik oh there's a difference yes okay there was a sheik who was in detroit who was like a big deal in the 60s and 70s and he was just the sheik right so mm-hmm. then into the mid to late 70s, you get all your different Sheiks popping up, like Iron Sheik and this Sheik and that Sheik. So then the Sheik from Detroit, Sabu's uncle, changed his billing from just the Sheik to the original Sheik. Oh, like uh, original Rays? <laughs> yes. <laughs> the original Sheik. Don't let any of the other ones fool you. So I honestly thought he was related to the Iron Sheik because of this. Because to me, the, the original Sheik is the Iron Sheik, if that makes any sense. Correct. But uh, there are some... Now, this is when the match starts to get really good because there's a couple of, like, um, 
uh, Sabu puts uh, Hayabusa in a, a maneuver that's kind of like a camel clutch, but I don't know exactly what you would call it. And RVD like does a flip into the ring and kicks him in the face. And, you know, uh, then Shinzaka, Shinzaki does like a flip off the rope and kicks RVD. And I'm like, all right, now this is where it's starting to get, uh, they start to pick up the pace and all this stuff is happening and it becomes the chaotic ECW match that apparently everybody knows and loves. Um, they need to get the guy who throws the beers to Austin at this point because somebody tries to throw a chair, um, to, and I think it's Fonzie who throws it, and they botch it. They right, that is Fonzie it. throwing the chairs on the outside, correct. Right, so they have to pick up another one because it, like, flops away. They're like, oh, we got to throw another one. And I was like, oh, man, if that was the Austin Beer guy, he would have nailed it. But uh, then uh, there's a cool thing where uh, I think it was – I'm not sure if it was Sabu because I don't have it written down or uh, RVD that somebody gives somebody a chair shot in while they're holding someone in a bow. It was RVD holding someone in a bow and arrow, and RVD does the run around and drop kicks him in the face while holding the chair. Right. Yeah. So that's really cool. And once again, I knew what a bow and arrow was because the great Joey Styles told me. Um, there's some really great back and forth. Uh, but then I feel really bad because they throw a table in the ring, Joe. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, I know this table is going to be used for the, the finisher most likely because we've been going a while and it goes back and forth and the table starts systematically falling apart in the ring and it just breaks the, the legs fall off it. So they have no table in the ring. And they did this move to like set up a, like I think what was a finisher, and they're like, oh, the table fell over. So it looks like they're trying to figure out what they're going to do. Like if we're going to finish the move, and they end up throwing two tables into the ring, and then they're like, they only set up one, and Fonzie's trying to set up the second one, but in the end they're like, screw it, we're not using two tables. We're just going to put um, Hayabusa and Shinzaki on one table. And I thought it was really cool that it's like a double table smash from the far corners, uh, Sabu and, and RVD. And that's, you know, uh, how they finish the match. But RV, in it, RVD goes for the pin and, you know, Iron Sheik knockoff pushes him away and he gets the pin. And I'm wondering, like, because this is the last we really see of them, this probably sets up a falling out between RVD and Sabu. Uh, off again, or later on, on again. Okay. Okay, I was interesting because I was wondering if, like, we, it was shortly after this they fell... Because it seemed like that's what they were setting up. They um, had been feuding with each other and tagging with each other for the last two years up to this point in uh, ECW. Right. Um. Then we get uh, a Bam Bam... Bigelow versus Taz recap, and there's that familiar voice again. <laughs> it's Polly, and then they proceed to run one of the most confusing recaps I have ever seen in my entire life. Okay, 
with who was involved. Somehow Shane Douglas is involved. And then I, I even think Carl, uh, Candido's involved at some point. I don't know. It seems like they go back years to explain what's going on. And I, and honestly don't know who's mad at each other other than somehow Shane Douglas is hoping that Bam Bam beats up Taz, or maybe he sent him, or maybe he's part of the group. I don't know, because people infiltrated groups and then turned on them. I couldn't follow any of it. All I know is Taz versus Bam Bam in a false count anywhere death match, was it? Uh, what are they? Uh, yeah, it was a yeah, death false match. false count anywhere match, sure. Yeah, but it was also called a death match, so nobody died, so it's false advertising. But like I said, so and it's at this point, Joe, that uh, uh, after the recap, Shane Douglas loses his mind on like Taz and all this stuff. He's like he's just bitching about Taz, and once again, I'm not following any of it. Be- other than I noticed the robot arm at this point, that's where they show the, the metal thing on his arm. I'm not following any of it because at this point, Francine is twirling her hair and looking into the camera and like blowing kisses and stuff like that. <laughs> While Shane Douglas, like he's literally losing his mind over Taz. It was one of the most funny, funniest things because I just, I, I'm like, you're really, you're really undercutting Shane here. Like, knock it off, Francine. But then Welcome to the Jungle comes on, so I'm happy again. Uh, and I know a check is being cut to Axel and Slash and the rest of them. Of course. I don't know if it's as much as to ACDC because they played two songs, but that's that's neither neither here nor there. Okay. Um, and uh, we also find out that Bam Bam is at 345 pounds, and Shane says that's the best condition that he's in great condition. And I'm looking at Bam Bam Bigelow and going, then I'm only 40 pounds away from great condition. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I'm saying, Joe. I'm 40 pounds away from great condition. So if I can make that weight, I'll be happy. All right. But I was like, that just, I just found it funny. And they were saying that he was, um, that he was 363, but, but Douglas knew it was, 345. It was all great weight arguing. Fantastic. Um, and did I mention at this point we find out that Taz is the human suplex machine, Joe? Yes. Okay. Remember that. Um, so uh, then Joey Styles says, and I quote, I'm going to shoot on Taz. He is the most miserable SOB he has ever seen in his entire life. Are you supposed to say I'm going to shoot when you shoot? Well, it's kind of a way to be like, um, hey, all this other pro wrestling stuff that I say, that's fake. Here's the real thing oh. that I'm going to say, you know? So now I know. Okay. It's, it's to really shine a light on all the other stuff that we we now know is phony. Right. And it's at this point that I find out the uh, Fuck the World Championship is not recognized by ECW. Ugh. How, how, what's up with that shit, Joe? That, I, did they ever recognize that belt? Well, uh, later he would, uh, spoilers everyone, he would later beat uh, Shane Douglas and merge uh, Shane Douglas's world title with his uh, Fuck the World title. But did they still call it the Fuck the World title? No. It was absorbed into the real title. Okay. So, now they start the match, 
And it's th- this match is basically just for the most part, just a lot of punch kick um, outside the, you know, like you're going around. I'm going to hit you with this. I'm going to throw a beer on you, whatever. It's just there's no real wrestling in most of this match. It's, it's, a, and, it's, it's a walk and talk brawl. Right. Is that what it's called? Actually? Yeah. Like they're just kind of it will it would later become um, known more as like the WWF main event style, mm-hmm. but it, it's essentially like, hey, we're just gonna kind of like aimlessly roam through the building while we're kicking and stomping and punching at each other to really no great effect. Right. So now, who did that first? Uh, ECW kind of did it first, as you'll see in the main event as well. Right. Okay. So they basically they don't fight long in the ring, and then they go into the crowd. Which is nice because Taz and Bam Bam, both wearing black, go into a dimly lit crowd for the most part of the, the, the match. It's, they might as well have just filmed it in a coal mine during an eclipse because I couldn't tell, like, this is one of those low production things until they get the spotlights working in a minute or so. Right. Took them a while. I, I don't, uh, know any of this. And then, Joe, it takes five minutes into the match before and it's on concrete. I think it's at the uh, at the one fifty four twenty seven mark. Joe is <laughs> Taz th- the human suplex machine throws his first suplex. Right, first suplex. What do you think the over under is on suplexes? Oh boy, uh, I think this would be the. Uh, I we might get one more. You are correct, sir. There you go. Sir, it takes another five minutes for uh, Taz to suplex to Tazplex or something. I don't know what it was called. Um, Bam Bam into a table. Shocking, a lot of tables getting broken in ECW. Into a table on like in the corner. It's, not, it's like propped up on the corner. And that's your second um, suplex. And I was thinking, like Suplex City, which I guess apparently... Uh, Polly Dangerously slash Heyman loves suplexes because he because he had uh, the human suplex machine on the payroll and now he's the advocate of the suplex the guy will take you to Suplex City but I see a lot more suplexes with uh, Brock Lesnar than I do Taz I was really disappointed at the sheer low number and I'm not even joking here when you as as a guy who's watching this and you promote him many times get, getting to this match as the human suplex machine and he throws two right i was like that's just bullshit false like, advertising I, yes it was i was like this isn't this isn't any good but then i kind of like the fact um that he that i'm trying to figure out uh not to interrupt this would be like in the previous match where they refer to sabu as suicidal homicidal genocidal and not only does he not kill one person he does not kill many people nor himself or a whole race of people right (laughs) i was upset at that um but uh taz then ddt's bam bam through the ramp Mm -hmm. which i was shocked at because many that I figured that ramp was strong because many people walked over that ramp. Correct. To get to the the thing, and then there 
Shane Douglas is losing his mind at this point. I love it. It it just keeps like you know ramping up. He's like, find out if Bam Bam's dead. Who cares about Taz? But find out if Bam Bam's okay. So it, it, that was really cool. And then they come out and um, Taz wins with the Taz mission. Correct. But but uh, I don't know that then Shane Douglas was screaming that that uh, Bam Bam was reaching for the ropes, but we were not sure if he was just in agony or whatever. So I don't know if they played that angle up later. Like, um, you know what I mean? Like to yes. me, I noticed that, that they're like, Oh, he's reaching for the ropes, but I'm like, does it work if you're outside the ring? <laughs> um, if you touch the rope to break a submission in a death match falls count anywhere. But right. uh, did, did they do anything with that later? Well, it was just more so of like to set up rematches on the house shows and stuff. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. As though that means anything to you. Right. No, that that's fine. And as this goes on, Shane's getting louder and louder. And at this point, I kind of think he sounds like the Oh, What a Rush guy from Legion of Doom. Hawk, sure. Right, because he's starting to get that, like, that, oh, I can't stand, like, and I actually thought, it, there's no chance that it is Hawk, right? It is not Hawk. Okay. Because they sounded... They shot. They sounded a, a a lot alike. Um, then at this point, um, Taz challenged Shane from the from the ropes, which I thought was really cool because the announcers, you know, the champ, and Shane Douglas gets so mad that he picks up a monitor and throws it, uh, throws it off the, the where they're announcing from, which seems like now they showed it as a high point, and it looks like he throws it into the crowd, but. I'm hoping no one got killed because <laughs> he literally threw a monitor down in the general direction of where people were sitting. So I think maybe we would have found out if he murdered somebody. But uh, then at this point, uh, Styles is confused and he doesn't know what to do because things are coming in in his earpiece again. And he's like, all right, we're just going to go to a recap of uh, the for the main event, uh, the, the, the Dudley's match. And we, I kind of get a very like operatic uh, recap with no no Polly Heyman this time of how they they crippled Beulah McGillicuddy correct with a 3D they broke her neck taking her out of wrestling forever. Wow, never to be seen on a wrestling event again. Really? No, no. I'm guessing did she did she come back as Beulah McGillicuddy or somebody else? As Beulah McGillicuddy. Okay, good. Her neck healed. I'm glad to hear it. There, there's many, like, you know, leaps in neck surgery, so she was okay. But uh, I like the fact that as they're they're coming out to the ring, uh, pronouns, pal, uh, Devon, Bubba Ray, and Big Dick Dudley, who, with their entourage, which we'll get to in a minute, um, I love that Joey says he's not going to support and be objective to the Dudleys. He hates the Dudleys, and he gets it because uh, – Polly knows that they draw money, but, and see, he's shooting again. He's saying how they draw money, but I refuse to, to put them over. And I was like, oh my goodness, this really is a shoot because he's right. using the behind the scenes lingo, like put them over and draw money. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. And he's like, I'll talk when the opponents come out. And I thought it was kind of cool because he didn't talk, but then he didn't need to talk. <laughs> All right. And now, now we're at the main event, Joe. Even though the double ACDC match was the main event, now we're at the main event. And Bubba starts 
grabs the mic and starts with the words that he hates everybody in the whole building to start the match. And I'm like, great way to start. This can't get any better. It does, Joe. It gets way better. He starts a challenge to the crowd, which... I don't know. Someone told me he does this like any any takers. I don't know if they've done this multiple times. Todd, I I just want to let you know as you continue, the pay-per-view version of this Mm -hmm. is the toned-down version of this. Okay, because they sound off that someone is trying to come out, and he's like, you bring your fat ass down here. You're going to need that crutch. And I'm like, this can't end. You you challenging this crowd to fight in the ring can't end well. <laughs> and I do believe now that you've told me, someone, the fancy gentleman, may have shown me a clip of the unedited what like you're talking about. Right. Doesn't somebody climb down out of the balcony? Uh, there's someone. There, there is someone there at another event, uh, the Madhouse of Extreme in Queens, New York. And yes, someone like essentially staved, stage dives off the balcony to the people below to get to the ring. Uh, so did they stop this thing oh, yes. after a while? Like they're like, oh no, oh, I don't want no, to no, fight. No, no, no. The Dudleys don't stop this until their last day in ECW. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Um. So, I'm like okay, and I just want to say I've been to shows at the ECW Arena during this era. Mm-hmm. This would be forty minutes to an hour. Wow! Of them just going like berating, like just like p- like picking like row like this side row C. I'm gonna go to every single person and oh give you goodness. five minutes and just run you down and hope you jump the rail. Or if you're a woman, hope your boyfriend or your husband or whoever you're with jumps the rail. <laughs> Were so there just... any women in the crowd that Bubba Ray had anything untoward to say in this in this instance, Todd? No, actually no. You're very no. lucky then, Todd. That's why I'm saying this is the toned-down version of the spiel. <laughs> so it's fantastic. Um, so this, this is when they give their announcer... Joel Gertner, the 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 microphone, and Joe, we have a winner. Okay, we have him doing the rhyming shit <laughs> is fantastic. Like, I don't have them all written down, but my favorite is I'm Joel Gertner. I'm hotter than a heat wave and harder than Chinese algebra. <laughs> I'm like, go Joel Gertner, go, and he does a bunch, and I. I, I am, I am dying. I was, I was fucking dying. He's in this, like I said, in, in cut. I don't know if he's got like a suit pants on or if they're shorts cut off, but, but where's the neck brace come from? Like, did he get an, is that like, like uh cowboy Bob Orton's cast on his arm? It's like, it happened and I'm wearing it forever. When he does wrestling in 2017, Todd, he still wears the neck brace. Oh, he probably had a vicious injury, Joe. Correct. He should have went to see uh, Beulah McGillicuddy's doctor. <laughs> so any Ugh. evil evil stable needs an evil referee on, on the payroll. Right. And that's Jeff Jones, the evil ref. Correct. Um, and then we have DJ Dudley, the sign guy. Mm-hmm. Oh, and boy. <laughs> what? He's the quiet behind the riot, Joe. 
God, I love Joel Gertner. Um, oh, wait. Dick- we didn't get to him announcing Devon Dudley's weight yet. Go ahead. Did he announce Devon Dudley's weight? Well, you know, it's like... Um, right, I forget, because like, there's a lot going on. Okay, here. so like Big Dick Dudley's from the Twisted Steel section of Dudleyville. <laughs> right. And Devon Dudley tonight is weighing in, and this might ring some bells, at a buff, cut, ripped, chiseled, and jacked, and some ridiculous number of weight. Okay, I didn't know. That is not correct or true. Okay, because I was cracking up, do you know what I mean? Yes. So I wasn't getting all the fastballs. And, uh, let's see, uh, uh, then they were calling, then they had a a doll that was Beulah McGillis slutty. Right. um, Which I don't really think was her, but... But either way. So, and then Big Dick Dudley, like you said, blah, blah, blah. The only real Mastodon in wrestling. Oh, boy. Was he the Mastodon? Well, if you remember from a previous, um, the last one that we watched, the last Gala Fray, Fraybirds, when Vader was called the Mastodon. Okay. I remember there was a Mastodon, but I was wondering if he had anything to do with it. So right. No. No. But, okay, so, like, that entrance, that, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm, I don't often go looking for YouTube clips of stuff, but I can see myself, Joel Gertner, the hell out of YouTube. Right. But, uh, so that's over with, pretty much, like, after a wonderful, wonderful, amazing time. Um, then Enter Sandman starts, Metallica gets their check. Right. Um, and out comes... All buffed up, like, all busted up already. I'm like, I don't even know, did this happen in the fight outside or something? But already, Sandman's all busted up. I don't know why, but I love the fact that he comes out, they come out with ladders and Spike Dudley and Tommy Dreamer. And he's got, you you know how I know Steve Austin was tough? Was because he drank a beer at ringside? Well... Tommy or uh, Sandman's even tougher because he smokes an unfiltered cigarette and drinks a beer at ringside. I was cracking up at that. That just seems like so, like like to me, Sandman is the bender of wrestling at this point from Futurama. <laughs> that is not uh, the first time that comparison has been made. Okay, I honestly didn't know that. It's not like I knew, but I'm just like, he's smoking, drinking, he's got a bit of a gut on him. I'm like... Remember the episode where Bender becomes a real person? Yes. Yes, that's what the Sandman looks like. That is what the Sandman looks like. Right. So, I found that completely amusing. Um, Just... they come out and they're, they're, they're drinking beers. And basically, I, I love that the fans are so insane that they're basically begging Tommy Dreamer to spit beer on them. <laughs> I, I was like, I was blown away. Like, literally, they're like right in front of them. They're like, me, like spit beer on me, Tommy Dreamer. And I'm like, you people have problems, man. <laughs> like... I don't want anybody spitting on me, but apparently spitting beer is fantastic. Um, uh, just so like basically the the match starts, and this is one of another one of those just chaos matches where, and I love early on in the match, Tommy Dreamer does a hangman's neck breaker. Mm-hmm. Look at that! Look, I know these moves, Joe. You know why? Joey uh, Styles. Joey Styles, the anchor of the commentation station. 
that that's what it was. Um, right. So he does that on Devon, and Devon sells it like he was shot with twelve shotguns, <laughs> and then tased with like a, a his leg was shaking. I'm sure, wasn't it? <laughs> yes. Right. Um, I think that was the only thing that wasn't shaking on his whole body was his leg. I, I found that uh. Uh, hysterical and then they so they wrestle for a little bit and Bubba gets in and Spike wants Spike goes crazy Joe is Spike still alive we'll save that for the end of the uh, thing here Todd okay we're gonna do the oh never mind never mind (laughs) Um, so uh, now I know what the game is (laughs) maybe you do maybe you don't (laughs) okay now at this point DJ Dudley, the sign guy, right. is cracking me up because our good buddy DJ, the sign guy, um, is cracking me up because the signs that he's holding up are pretty much funny. And once again, I don't know how much would fly in 2017 with uh, Jeff Jones is the only straight referee. And I'm like, <laughs> do they mean that he calls it down the middle? That's Fonzie. Like, like Fonzie? Or are they talking about his sexuality, Joe? It's kind of like the Candido, no gimmicks needed. You know, and he doesn't need a gimmick, and he's not shooting needles in his ass with steroids. <laughs> right. Gotcha. So, um, I just found that funny. And then there was, uh, I, I don't remember exactly what the sign was, but it was basically like, Vince, I don't know if he said, Vince, you're going to steal this gimmick too, or something like that. Oh, boy. <laughs> or Vince, we stole this. I don't know. But it just, what more again, implying that, uh, WWEF at the time was stealing all kinds of stuff from ECW, but you were telling me people were on the payrolls. Right. So, uh, you know, this is just one of those uh, just crazy matches that, like I said, but the one really thing that jumped out at me was Spike's jump off the, like, 20-foot ladder from the middle of the ring outside the ring. Correct. That was just crazy. I was like, that, like, you shouldn't be doing that, son. But I did like when they ended up like Tommy Dreamer, Spike, and Sandman all get Devon, Big Dick, and Bubba Ray and put them in the Tree of Woe, all three of them. And at this point, I was a little saddened by Joey Styles, who had been on top of his game all night, said that he has the three of them in the Tree of Woe when he didn't call it the Three of Woe. Oh. I was like, come on, you're just, you're just you're begging for a pun here, Joey. Like, you could have <laughs> crushed it, but... Instead of A plus, you just get an A. Um, but then they ended up putting the uh, the fake ref, the, sh- the straightest ref in the ECW, also in the Tree of Woe. So they have the four of them. And for some reason now, the referee who was upset that uh, Jeff Jones said that he had more hair than him gets involved, and they all super kick their, their people in their corners, and the ref is even involved. And I'm like, wow, just completely over the top and the match is is uh is going on and more styles implying wwf is going to steal the tree of woe thing um more where joey styles lacks in the three of woe makes it up with big dick it has total penetration with the ladder when he hits somebody so there are sexual innuendos um in the end tommy dreamer ddt's bubba um, thus getting revenge for Beulah pay-per-view over Joe. But wait, it's not. Jack Victory comes in with a guitar filled with Spectrox and <laughs> hits people on the head and it gets a big battle. And 
the pay-per-view is over, Joe. But wait, it's not, because now New Jack runs in with a shopping cart and garbage cans and throws all of the stuff into the ring, and we get that weapons match we've been begging for. And uh, that, was on, that, that we were goes, robbed of earlier in the evening. Right, so all is well that we get the weapons match, and the, the pay-per-view ends, and everybody's happy. The end. End of Heat Wave 1998 from ECW. For real? Yes, this time the screen went black. Okay. So, and I ran out of, uh, I ran out of VHS tape that you gave me. <laughs> so before we get your final thoughts on this, let's play, mm-hmm. let's play the different version of this game. Right. Every single match that you watched has exactly one dead person in the match. <laughs> now, who does is the count, dead person in every match? Does it count in the match, or does it also count, like, entourage? It counts entourage as well. Okay, I need to know that, because right. when you say does in the match... does not referees, ring announcers, it's people competing in the match, and or entourage. All right, I'm going back through my notes, and starting at the first match, which was... Uh, blah, blah, blah. Just Incredible versus Jerry Lynn. G- uh, Jerry Lynn's dead. I gave this one to you before. Nicole Bass is dead. Oh, that's right. Nicole Bass is dead. Right. See, I was going... I have to think. I just jumped to the answer. Gotcha. That I know Nicole Bass is answer. I was going in the match in my head. So the next match is Chris Candido versus Lance Storm. Mm. Hmm. I know Tammy Lynn is alive. Right. And well and working hard on the internet. Well, two of those three things are correct. <laughs> Chris Candido is dead. Sadly, yes. Chris Candido died of a uh, leg inf- a blood clot in his leg after landing bad, breaking his leg, taking a flight home, and then died then. Oh. Okay, so the next match is RVD... Nope, you skipped one. Which one did I skip? Masato oh. Tanaka versus Mike Awesome. Mike Awesome... Uh, is Mike Awesome dead? Mike Awesome is dead. Um, suicide, possibly... Um, Possibly directly linked to concussion syndrome. Oh, well, those are the chair shots I was talking about. Possibly. Um, so then the next match is RVD, Fake uh, Cheek, Fonzie. Uh, I have the uh, the names of Sitana. Hmm. Sorry, I'm just looking over my... RVD is still alive. That much I know. Um, who is it? Shinzaki. No, uh, Hayabusa. Uh, Hayabusa. I knew it was one of the two because I know Sabu is still alive. Hayabusa, several years later, uh, suffered a very horrific injury in the ring. Uh, ended up paralyzed. Um, was working his way back to uh, an in-ring return. And within the last year, had a heart attack and died in his sleep. All right. Now, the big question. Oh, no, okay, because that's the last match. Bam Bam Bigelow and Taz, I know for a fact it's Bam Bam Bigelow because when he died, he had his Bam Bam barbecue up the road here. Correct. So I knew that was in the local news when he passed away. Right. Bam Bam Bigelow uh, died of heart complications uh, led uh, spurned on by a toxic level of cocaine in his system. Too much spectrox will get you every time. Okay, 
Now, in the match, the the the, the main event. Are we not counting uh, victory and... Uh, We're just going to count the six main participants. We're going to wipe out the people outside the ring. Okay, because I knew there was like, you know, a uh, sign guy and all that stuff. That might have counted, but I didn't know about the two guys at the end. So, Spike is dead. Big Dick Dudley is dead. Oh, uh, Big, Big Dick, Dick Dudley. Dudley died of kidney failure brought on by excessive uh, steroid use. Was that just recently? No, he's been dead for the better part of 15 years. Okay, I thought he died. So Spike's still alive. Spike Dudley is still alive. He's actually a teacher uh, in the Delaware area. Wrestling teacher? No, a school teacher. Like George the Animal Steel? Well, uh, so is Shane Douglas as well. And I think those are the only ones. Uh, Jerry Lind has a wrestling school. Lance Storm has a wrestling school. Um, da, 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 da. Dreamer runs his own promotions, and the Dudleys have a school in Florida. So a lot of these guys are running wrestling schools. Uh, Shane Douglas and Spike Dudley are actual legitimate school teachers. Okay. Interesting. So, do you, do you have another question for me on no. that? No. Uh, final no? thoughts on the uh, Heat Wave 98? I really enjoyed it, but it was more for the final match, mm. the music involved, and a lot of the pageantry. Because, like the, the like I said early on, a lot of the matches were just like punch, kick, punch, kick, throw somebody through a table. A lot of repetitiveness, but it, there was a lot of fun stuff. Like I said, with with the stuff that you could tell, I obviously enjoyed. I really enjoyed. So that ticks it up to one of my favorites of the. Uh, pay-per-views that you've given me and Joel Gertner and Devon Dudley and Bubba and all that shit that, Oh my God, that's you. That I absolutely found fantastic. And I'm, Joey Styles. I'm glad you enjoyed the event. I have other things to discuss with you about some of the participants in that main event off air. Okay. Okay. So, uh, that's it for Gallifrey birds, everybody. See you next week. Wait a minute, what? No. Okay. Now we get to the greatest show in the galaxy. Okay. So I'm going to read the description of this uh, Sylvester McCoy-era Doctor Who that I had to right. watch. Off the back of the DVD. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, although Ace hates clowns, the Doctor <laughs> decides to take his companion to the psychic circus on the planet Segonax. They're the, not, that's, first of all, that's not correct. That's, like, a little bit wrong. There, they find a group of scared performers who live in fear of the sinister and creepy chief clown. Again, somewhat true. But what is so dangerous about this particular circus? Why is there such a small audience? And will Ace be able to overcome her fear before it's too late? Now, the back of the DVD really plays up this fear of clowns that Ace has. It's more, it's less of a fear of clowns and more of a, no, I don't like those <laughs> yeah. sort of thing. It's not a genuine fear. Now, I want to say this, Todd, and I'll show you this here as well. And I'll turn the camera off very quickly. That's a full page of notes. Mm-hmm. Plus, I had to get a little bit extra on the back there. Oh, maybe I'll show you my notes sometime. I had pages and pages. Right. 
So I just have like a cryptic scroll that sometimes I forget mm-hmm. what a lot of it means. But one of the things that I did with this was there's certain things that came up. One of the things that helped me with this is I'm now in the mindset of watching these things with the subtitles on. Mm-hmm. I didn't need them this time. Everyone spoke clearly and into a microphone. <laughs> Right. And it was recorded and then presented to me, the viewing audience, in a fashion <laughs> that made sense. Right. Whereas um, previous incarnations of Doctor Who that I've had to watch do not have those those things. But there were key plot points that were given away in the subtitles. But we'll get to that later. So right. as we've discussed with every Doctor, this being the seventh Doctor, every Doctor has a little bit of a twist on his theme. This one has a little bit more of a jazzy, upbeat theme. Right. And I like this one the most out of all the themes so far. He, he gets a bad rap for being one of the bad doctors, but his shtick is, like, I think his shtick with good writing and production values would have been fantastic. Okay. So. Um, then we, oh, okay, so yeah, we'll get to the other thing with the subtitles helping me with. Then we get the opening graphics. And Todd, I had to go grab the DVD to see when this aired. And it claims that this aired in 1988. That sounds about right. In England. Okay, but in, now, it's not like 1988, but in Canada, or some other third world country that didn't have video effects until just the other day. Right. These are some of the most shamefully embarrassing video effects, mm-hmm. which luckily we won't get anything this embarrassing as these shows go on. Um, then we we get the little thing of the circus and the ringleader raps. He raps yes. his little spiel. It's eighty eight. Okay. Again, by this time we were like. And again, it's I know it's England, it's the UK, whatever it is. But in 1988, like we were on the cusp of people like NWA, like they were right. big and hot. And like here's this guy, like, hey y'all, let's come to the circus. Don't be a jerkus, you know, like like the corniest <laughs> rap, right? But again, Doctor Who is a corny show, whatever Kid show too. And again, we bring this back to the rule of sevens. The first time I didn't like it. Second time I liked it a little bit more. Third time I was back on board. Once we get to the tenth time over the course of the four episodes, I'm like, all right, enough. We get it. He's the rapping ringleader. Okay. Oh, what? You're saying the rule of ten is no good? Not in this instance. Okay. So we're on the TARDIS, in the TARDIS, whatever the TARDIS is, right? Mm-hmm. And the doctor is reading a book about juggling, which would pay off later. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was Chekhov's juggling book. <laughs> As a nod to Podvocacy this past week with Chekhov's sword. Right. So he then tells Ace, and we'll just call her Ace, and we're not going to get into everything else about her calling him the professor or, you know, them missing up, like, verbiage and stuff, because none of them really jumped out to me. They seemed kind of, like, forced a little bit. Like, both of their, like, misspeaking certain phrasing. Mm-hmm. Okay. So at this point, thanks to the uh, subtitles... A word comes up that I don't know. And it's not one of these things that's like, oh, I'm going to say it's the Mahanahe Doohickey, which runs the TARDIS, right? No, this appears to be some sort of, like, English term or something. So I'm going to ask you, Todd, if you know what the hell they're talking about. Okay. Okay. He asks Ace uh, if she can find her rucksack. 
which sounds a little dirty to me. Todd, what the hell is a rucksack? It's like a big duffel bag. Okay. And her duffel bag is what what she carries her nitro, what she doesn't carry her nitro nine in. Because right, it's that's dangerous. what she's looking for, her nitro nine. Yes, which is explosives. So while she's looking for this, she peeks out from like a closet and she's wearing a scarf, Todd. The scarf. Now, now that was going to be my other question. Is this the scarf or is this just a scarf that's supposed to make us remember the much better doctors, allegedly the much better doctors? This is the, well, I don't know if it's the one like from the wardrobe, but if it isn't, it's, if it isn't, it's a replica of the scarf, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. Right. Because I don't know if they kept them or what they did with them, but that is an exact uh, duplicate of the fourth doctor's scarf, which it could be any of them because there were different lengths and different color schemes over the course of as many years, which I could go into, or I could just send you a website that describes the different scarfs over the years if you've got two websites send them both <laughs> i'll send you both of them. so uh all of a sudden somehow into this and again this was unclear and that's going to happen a lot where i'm going to say this was unclear oh hey, you're getting into the seventh doctor era of stories uh, right. unclear uh stuff it's you know par for the course a repurposed nes robotic operating buddy comes in <laughs> and in reverse stop motion, which we would later see nine to ten years later in Batman and Robin, throws like a little suction cuppy thing up onto the panel that shows them a infomercial essentially for the psychic circus. Right. And it's like, oh, hey, come and practice your thing, right? Like if you have some sort of talent or gimmick that you do, come to the psychic circus, right? So the doctor, apparently, even though he's played by a 90-year-old man sometimes, not in this instance, this time it's like a 65-year-old man, um, they're also like sometimes when the plot needs them to be, or like childlike in nature, so he wants to go and perform there, Ace has a mild aversion to clowns. <laughs> She's scared of them. And then the robot starts taunting them that they're too cowardly to go, so then they decide to go... Uh, down to the uh, the, the planet Seganax, right? Mm -hmm. So then, while we're on Seganax, we're introduced some of the wacky characters on Seganax. And by some of the wacky characters, I mean less than three, because again, the budget could not have this many people in, in the cast, right? Yep. So we are introduced to someone who had the very good chance... Of becoming a favorite character, but we'll get to more of that, why this kind of falls apart later. We're introduced to Nord, Vandal of the Roads, mm -hmm. who is wearing a motorcycle helmet that has giant bat wings on it. Mm -hmm. That was obviously made for someone else because it keeps slipping down over his eyes. <laughs> he then stops his motorcycle. Now, apparently he's on his way to the psychic circus again for some reason. He then stops his motorbike, or whatever the hell it is that he's driving, reaches into his side pouch, and pulls out the fakest-looking sandwich I've ever seen in my life, and then pretends to take a 80s commercial fake bite of it. He pulls it out of the, the warmer on the side of his motorcycle. Right. The fake space hamburger, I guess. Right. So, um, the Doctor and Ace come down to the planet, and there's a corpulent distressed-looking British woman <laughs> who is, like, selling food or something. It's, like, corn served in milk out of a hollowed-out <laughs> melon. 
It's all very confusing of what this delicacy is. You're on another planet. It could be anything. Could be anything. Or it could be corn and milk inside of a hollowed out (laughs) melon. So she immediately assumes that the Doctor and Ace are dirty hippies because that's the only people that show up and come around. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, they're on their way to the psycho. The, I'm going to say psycho circus a bunch of times. The psychic circus. Then they come upon Net. Uh, uh, what's it, what did I say? His name was Nord. Nord and Ace have a little bit of a thing because I guess Ace knows how to fix stuff. Nord mm-hmm. does not. Um. So also, while this is going on, we see two random people who are on the escape. We later learn that they're on the escape from the psychic circus. Their names are Bellboy and Flower Child. Apparently, these are two of the hippies that the corpulent, distressed-looking old woman was talking about. But obviously, you know they're on the run because they're being chased by kites (laughs) and clowns in a Rolls-Royce-type vehicle Mm -hmm. that, just for the first episode, the lead villain clown... Anytime that he does anything, Todd, if he takes a few steps, if he turns his head, if he rolls a window down, it has a sound effect for it. In the later episodes, they give up on this. Budget probably ran out. Right. Now, also, uh, when the doctor is trying to convince the old woman that they are not hippies, he also says that we're not the typical type of hobbledehoids. You see around here. Todd, what the hell is that? <laughs> that is a group of, uh, of, I don't know, just like rapscallions. I don't mm-hmm. know. So, Nord won't go with them to the psychic circus. They're going to walk to the psychic circus. And in a very strangely framed shot, the Doctor and Ace are walking toward us, right? Mm-hmm. And... Both of their dialogue is very obviously ADR'd. Right. Because it's at a different volume and level and pitch and everything else than all of their other dialogue before or after. While they're having this conversation, the car that the villain is in is coming up behind them. Mm -hmm. And it's not until it's almost directly on top of them do they realize that the car is behind them. Right. They're in the middle of the desert. There's nothing else around. The car is making an 80-yard noise as well, which they ignore. So anyway, the car almost hits them. They follow the car to the psychic circus. On their way there, they also run into Captain Cook and Mags, his companion. And Mm -hmm. obviously this is in the episode to be set up as kind of a foil for the Doctor and Ace. Um... Captain Cook has a different idea of how his companions are supposed to be. I guess he kind of refers to them as specimens or property or something like that, where the Doctor looks at Ace as an equal, even though obviously the Doctor is top of the food chain and everyone else is a lesser being in the grand scheme of things, correct? He doesn't feel that way. He just feels he's smarter than everybody. Right. And he is. Right. So now we're introduced to a bunch of robots. There's a robot in the sand that they fight that they never show the full thing of on screen. It's as though it's not a full thing. That they just maybe had like an arm and a head, maybe. It was buried in the sand, that's why. Buried in the sand, sure, sure. So then they go on to a hippie bus, which is where we saw uh, earlier uh, Bellboy and uh, Flower Child kind of 
go apart as though Bellboy's like, I'm going to do this to maybe lead the kites that are tracking us away. Flower yes. Child gives him one of her earrings. And then when the robots get her, her other earring falls off. And we make sure that we know that it falls off because we get a lingering shot of it laying in the sand. Mm-hmm. So they go to the bus and a delightfully creepy robot comes out and accosts them for their tickets. Right. And Captain Cook, like, immediately just sells the doctor down the river. He knows that this is trouble. He sells the doctor, but of course the doctor gets out of the jam that they're in. And this is kind of when we're led to believe that Captain Cook may not be a good person. Spoiler, he's not a good person. This is all the stuff that happens in the first episode. It's amazing jam-packed excitement. Then things peter off a bit. So, as we go into the second episode, the ringleader is talking to the gypsy woman who runs the ticket booth. Now, they run, he, he runs, she runs a ticket booth in the same way that, like, here's a booth where I'm going to talk you into coming into the, into the circus, and then all of a sudden the clown or the ringleader are gonna come out and just say, oh, it's free for you to come in. I don't understand why the ticket booth is there. This happens like three or four times. We get it. However, in these discussions, in the subtitles, when the gypsy lady is addressing Captain Cook and Mags and whomever else, the subtitles before she speaks says, fake Russian accent. <laughs> Which made me think that this is Lana's mother in this role. I'm not 100% sure. I did not IMDB who this woman was. So... Uh, as I mentioned, the earring fell off, Ace finds it, she puts it in her jacket, and then it's at this point that I know that on her jacket, Ace has a bunch of pins and patches, which means that Ace, of Doctor Who fame, sees the Seventh Doctor, is the one who started this pin culture that's going on right now. So she's the one to blame for this pin culture. Um, if only there was a, a companion who was really into stickers, then I can get behind that. Maybe that's in the future, Joe. Oh, maybe. Well, or the past. Have... Or the past. Time doesn't work. Straight line for the doctor. Right. So they're there. There's three people in the audience, and it's a mother, a father, and a daughter. They're kind of sullen. They kind of look like they're dressed in old-timey garb. Um, as the acts happen, they hold up like either ten or nine, or zero, and then the person gets disintegrated, okay? Only if it's a bad review. Well, mo they all end up being bad reviews, and again, in a spoiler sort of thing. Right. So while they're all at the Psychic Circus, Harry Potter shows up, Todd. Mm-hmm. On a BMX. On a BMX bike, and a lot of his... Sh okay. So he's the biggest fan of the Psychic Circus. He mm -hmm. followed the Psychic Circus all over the world. He knows everything about it. He has the posters, everything else. It's been his dream to not only see the Psychic Circus, but later his dream is made to come true when he gets to perform in the Psychic Circus. Now, many of his scenes are shot from behind, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you don't see his face when he's having conversations with people. You see people reacting to what he's saying. Okay. So, I found this odd. So then, they do a thing where they're all captured, and 
Captain Cook is supposed to go up, and he again shows his true colors of being a jerk, and he says that Harry Potter, who we later learn in the subtitle's name is Wizkid, and that's Wizkid with two Zs, by the way, if you want to hate him <laughs> even more. I'll just call him fake Harry Potter. <laughs> so he says, oh, you can go and perform in front of me. And we never see what his act is. We just see that he becomes a smoldering pile. Mm -hmm. The way that this character was introduced, the way that many of his scenes were shot, and the way that he was such a strange character that stood out from everything else, it seemed as though his little arc in this was anticlimactic. Okay. Like, like does is this a person that comes back later? Nope. All right. So a similar uh, a similar fate also befalls poor Nord. Uh, not before we get a chance to see his Padawan braids. <laughs> so I thought this was going to be some sort of tie-in to the prequels, which would make me hate this more. But obviously, there is no connection to the Star Wars prequels, so that makes me like this more than the Star Wars prequels. That's a good thing. So while they're exploring around, because they escape out of their cage, and you know how I've talked before, Todd, about some of the fight choreography in past editions of Doctor Who? Mm -hmm. This episode had negative fight choreography. <laughs> negative negative fight choreography so they trick the robot clowns into opening the cage and then they lightly tap them with one of the juggling clubs mm -hmm. they gingerly fall down and that's how they escape you, know, you don't want anybody getting hurt no build up, no tension no, no, no stakes no nothing it's just like oh we need you to do this okay I'll open the door tap fall <laughs> escape so you high you don't want high medical bills joe you gotta sure. be careful right we're working on a budget this was a non-union project oh there are all union projects i could tell you stories <laughs> so as the doctor and mags are exploring ace gets separated from them because she's trying to find uh bellboy who has come back because they see that she has the pin on her and they know that that pin came from Flower Child, so that's how they get separated off, right? Mm -hmm. While Mags and the Doctor are out exploring, they find a phenomenal special effect of a giant pit with an eyeball at the bottom. Oh, the eye pit. Yes, the eye pit. Um, so that's the end of that episode. Um, also, while this is going on, they like stumble upon like a, a maintenance person... A homeless person. It's very unclear, but they call him Deadbeat, right? Mm -hmm. So obviously something happened to him. We later learn that the stuff from the pit and this part into the third and fourth episodes outside of one specific thing is where the, they decide to make the story and the plot more complicated and convoluted than it needs to be. Yep. And I kind of lost a lot of what was going on with this. Yep, just roll with it, Joe. Um, so, uh, so Deadbeat was Kingpin. He was the one who was actually in charge of the Psychic Circus when it was run by good people and it not run by whatever this pit in the floor is. And I don't know what the, um, but the doctor knows because he noticed the memorial stones in the, in, in the Three Ring Circus. 
And then when he goes through one part, which has fantastic special effects, the next two episodes are going to kind of blur together a little bit. Um, he sees that are spoiled, not only on the front, but also on the back of the box, the three stone people that are running this whole thing, which right. is their avatars are the mother, father, and child that are up watching the circus. Mm-hmm. and casting judgment on all these people, and the doctor yells at them because they're the gods of Ragnarok, and he mm-hmm. knows them somehow. Yep, which I think is a tie into the new Thor movie coming out. I, I, I can only hope so. <laughs> if the special effects in the Thor trailer are anything like the special effects I saw in this, I don't know where I'm going with this. Mm-hmm. Um, so then it turns out that Captain Cook is in league with these people, uh, the 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 evil psychic circus people, and we learn that they have a spotlight that can replicate the effects of the moon because Todd Mags is a werewolf, right? And by werewolf, I mean shot with a green light and drooling. Thriller, thriller. Seven years after Thriller happened. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of her kind of hunched over in a green light, drooling with te- with fake teeth in that are very obviously too big for her mouth. And the doctor convinces her that there's still good in her and not to be a werewolf. So mm-hmm. she just stops being a werewolf. Again, like I said, things fall apart. Uh, things- they put uh, Ace in this room with all the clown robots. Right. And I get what they were going for. Ace has a phobia of, allegedly, of clowns. This room, these clowns are very creepy in this. I'll give them that. They have a very creepy design for the most part. Uh, even though there are points where I'm looking at the makeup design on these clowns and I'm like, did Kiss steal this from them or did they steal this from Kiss? Anyway. Um, the problem with Ace being menaced in that trailer by the clowns Right. Is that it was shot in broad daylight. If it was shot with a little bit more darkness, a little bit more shadow, I think you could have had a better effect. Or, if at any point during the show, that Ace actually was afraid of clowns instead of just not caring about them. Mm-hmm. Those are the two things that were missing from making that an effective scene. Yeah. So, um, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say that has a lot to do with the mothers against Doctor Who, even though that's not their name, was that the, the show was too scary over the years and, they, you know, they lightened it up and make sure everything wasn't shot dark and stuff like that. There was a lot of, of things like that. So I'm with you that that kind of what is what ruined the show. But uh, OK, so uh, OK. Anyway, whatever. So they find out once they, um, Deadbeat has a medallion, there's an eye part that's missing from it, he puts it in there, and that's how he's able to break the curse, he remembers that he's Kingpin, he remembers he's the one, and then he figures out, uh, how to defeat the eyeball in the hole, he does, and the show's over with no real consequences. Right. Like I said, the big th- the big problem with this is the first episode is fantastic. I loved it. It was goofy. It was corny. It looked silly. Um, it it kind of seemed like they were aware of how corny it was and were playing the game. Mm-hmm. But then 
as the show went on, like I said, it seemed as though they started to take themselves too seriously and make things needlessly elaborate. Right. It seemed like they tried to, like, put a story in there and make it scary and it didn't work and got too complicated. I'm with you. I'm with you. The only thing that I do want to mention is that you didn't mention the scene, and it is one of my all-time favorite classic scenes, is when the doctor has finished everything and he walks out of the, the tent triumphant and it explodes behind him. Do you know the scene that I'm talking about? I like the explosion of the robot a lot more. But I just, to me, the fact that he, like, that is one of my all-time favorite scenes because Sylvester McCoy walks out, you know, without flinching. And, like, this isn't done in the era of of uh, special effects being, like, uh, you know, on like uh, being, what do you call it? Made, like. Right, on a computer. This is right, a, a practical effect. A pra- this is a practical effect where if they screwed it up, I believe he could have been killed. Do you know what I mean? Because there's a lot of, even though it's a lot of smoke and dirt, stuff comes flying on there. And to me, that's just, I was I was like, oh, I wonder if he's going to notice that because that's one of my favorite things. That's all. Eh. Yeah. And I, and I want to know if you want uh, the Doctor Who umbrella like I do. No. No, I love that umbrella. It was an umbrella. It had a... It, it had a, a question mark handle, and then he had a he had a sweater vest that had question marks on it. Oh my God, you're missing all the good stuff. That's the seventh doctor. Again, all these things co-opted from Matthew Lesko. I hope they're all proud of themselves. Right. Uh, but again, I liked this for the most part. When it embraced its silliness and corniness, I liked it. Uh, I thought Sil- Sylvester McCoy did a very good job until the last 20 minutes of the last episode was just him doing standard stage magic poorly. <laughs> right. I do love when he does the wobble. I did when enjoy he- the wobble, but the rest of it was just like, these are just things that you could buy at Spencer Gifts. Right. When, but when he does the, you ain't seen nothing yet, and he does that, I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. I was like, all right, that's pretty cool. And I wish... In, in the course of his run, they did incorporate that kind of stuff, but not enough. Like, what he could he could literally do. Did he play the spoons at all in this episode? He did play, like, they looked like sporks, actually. Right, but he plays the spoons. And I actually have a DVD, or a DVD, a CD of, like, this era of music, and it has him playing the Doctor Who theme on the spoons. Oh, my goodness. And if you want a copy of that, when nope. I give you back your flash drive that you gave me, I can put that on there? Nope. Okay. Um, but again, I would recommend the first episode of the four. There's one that's even campier than this one. Oh, boy. That The first episode that I wish I gave you now, because if that's what you really like, there was one that's that ridiculous for four episodes, three episodes. Mm-hmm. So it would have been shorter and more ridiculous. But oh well. Oh well, when, indeed. When we extend Gallifrey Birds, we can do that. Oh, I hope not. <laughs> right. I mean, I can't wait. <laughs> right. Uh, but again, like I said, not terrible. Just, um, again. I got you. First episode was... First, I think on its own, the first episode might be top three favorite Doctor Who that I've watched. Wow. Way to go. Because it was fun. I like fun. Right. No, I'm with you. And I told you, like, this is where it starts to peter out. So 
whatever. Well, you're done now. You're into you're gonna, the production values are going to go up from here, Joe. Well, what's this thing about the eighth Doctor where there's only the one thing that I have to watch that everyone has warned me about, Todd? Well, there's only one hour and a half ish uh, video because that's all he did. He did one movie where BBC, which is the company that owns Doctor Who over there, co co uh, made the, the the eighth Doctor movie. For Fox at the time, because Fox needed, uh, it was 96 maybe? Yes, 96. And they were looking for more content, and they wanted to add Doctor Who, and they're like, oh, we'll share the burden. And over, and I know we joke, but over there in England, it did really well, because it was Doctor Who. But over here, you know, it didn't give the numbers that Fox wanted. They're like, we're done. So, and it became a weird, like, rights thing because Fox co, you know, produced it that we didn't get it on DVD for years. They had to jump through hoops to get it put out over here, at least, because uh, the BBC's like, anything we do, we co, we co-produce, we have the rights to, to do whatever we want here in England with it. So, but for us to get an actual copy that was like a Region 1 DVD, it took years and years and years, so. Um, but they, we managed to finally get it. Paul McGann, the Eighth Doctor. There's only one, so I really don't have a fight uh, to uh, give you one, unless you want something you can listen to at work. Nope. Where the Eighth Doctor does those uh, audio plays that are famous, you know, for the for the classic Doctors that are getting you know more robust in their old age. Famous, huh? Yep. <laughs> so you don't want an audio play? You want the the, the hour and a half ish, hour and forty five minute DVD? Uh, I'll take I'll I'll take what the correct thing is. I ain't listening to anything extra above above and beyond what I have to. No, I just mean one or the other. You know, you don't want it an audio adventure. Like it'd be like a podcast adventure. No, I'm giving you the DVD. Don't worry about it. All it's right. one and done. So all right, that's why I'm not even gonna like you know pretend like when uh, certain listeners were like, oh, you're gonna give them some of the audio plays. I'm like, no, relax. There's one DVD. And you already saw where the Eighth Doctor comes back for the 50th anniversary in the uh, the five-minute clip. Remember that? Oh, yes. Anyway. Yes, where he turns into uh, John Hurt Doctor. You don't remember. Do no, you? I don't remember. I could tell. But anyway, so you've already watched some Eighth Doctor. Yes. So, anyway. All right, then. All right. That was a long show, Joe. It's a real long show. And we have another show to do now, too. Oh, goody. All right. Uh, soon to be named network.com, soon to be named network.tumblr.com. And uh, thanks for listening. Ooh. Episode 140 of Long Bucks Heroes After Dark, Gallifrey Birds Roman Numeral 7. Thank you for everyone should, for listening. What? I, I want to mention one last thing. Are we going to mention on this show, or are we just going to do it next week, what we're watching this week for next week? Oh, that is for, that is for true? Yes, that's for next week. Oh, okay. Um, next week, it is going to be straying from the normal After Dark um, scheduling. I forgot that that was coming up. Thank you for reminding me. Um, we are going to be discussing, what is it, the 20th anniversary? 25th anniversary? 25th anniversary, the, it, August 7th, I think. But that's not when it drops on the Friday. So. Right, right. Uh, but next episode of Gallifrey Birds is going to be discussing the 25th anniversary of the Clint Eastwood epic Unforgiven. The greatest movie ever made. Okay. We'll talk more about that next week. 
Mm-hmm. All right. Thanks everyone for listening, and we'll uh, we'll talk more about stuff and things and everything next week. Thanks for listening. <laughs>